Good morning. It's great to see all of you here this morning. Uh, as uh, Rob said, my name is Steve, and I'm one of the pastors uh, down at Cornerstone and Ames. I've been there for about a year. My wife, Paula, is with me. And uh, we moved up to Ames a year ago. I was a pastor in Des Moines for about 20 years, and they said they needed a, an older dude up in Ames to help balance out some of the intergenerational stuff. But, man, we love Cornerstone. Uh, my family, uh, just a quick pick of my family, um, there they are. I have four sons, Stephen, Samuel, Solomon, and Seth. Stephen is the freshman director at Salt Company down in Ames at Cornerstone, and my boys have gone to Salt Company. We have two daughter-in-laws, and there on the left, a super, super serious girlfriend. Um, and <laughs> uh, we don't know what's going to happen with that, but we have an idea. Uh, two grandkids, Isla and Sully. Sully's looking at Isla because he loves her. And then uh, we have another grandson that's due in May. So we are just loving life and uh, loving being at Cornerstone and just a part of this incredible movement that is happening uh, just throughout the network, even here. And we just always are hearing great stuff about what's happening at Salt City and just feel like you are a part of us. And hopefully you feel that uh, uh, about Cornerstone and Ames. And I walked in and saw Jenna up here, Kyle and Jenna. I did their pre-marriage counseling and so I asked Kyle, you know, how's your marriage going? He said, well, you have to ask Jenna. So if you could see me after the service, that would be great. But I love to get to be a part of that kind of stuff. I'm involved in family ministries and all kinds of things down there, but just super excited to be here. And even that, uh, as you saw in the video, that your staff is able to be at the spring conference. How many of you have been to the spring conference? Uh, just a few of you, if you can ever get down there. It's incredible. I know they are going to come back super energized and just with fresh vision for what God wants to do here in, in this uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul metro area. Uh, my dad uh, just recently moved to Iowa from uh, southern Arkansas. So as you can imagine, it is a little bit warmer in southern Arkansas than it is up in Iowa, and he, he vowed he would never move to Iowa. He just, I never will live there. I don't know how you guys live there. He called it the North Pole, and uh, he would tell all his friends, you know, my kids, they live up at the North Pole. I don't know why they want to live up there, and, and uh, you know... Uh, just a couple weekends ago, Paul and I were going to a wedding, and he called me Friday night, and he said, are you still going to the wedding? Aren't they going to cancel it? And I said, why? He said, well, I watched the weather. It's supposed to be cold. <laughs> I'm like, Dad, we don't cancel stuff up here for cold. And then I, but, you know, as I was thinking about coming up here, and I know we've had nutty, nutty coldness, and was it colder in Des Moines for just a little bit than here, or no? No, it's, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's always colder here, always, right? You know, 8, 9, 10 degrees colder than, than the Des Moines, Ames area. And uh, so I, you know, I, I told my dad, I'm, I'm trying to think, okay, where, you know, he calls Iowa the North Pole. Where, where are we? Is there any place colder than the North Pole? Yes? No? Aren't they teaching you anything at the U? There is. The South Pole. Did you know that? 
If you don't walk away with anything else, you can walk away with that. Just a little bit of trivia. The South Pole is typically 36 degrees colder than the North Pole. Isn't that incredible? It's, it has to do with being on a giant block of ice or something like that. So I, I called my dad and said, said where, where are you going to preach? I said, I'm going to the South Pole uh, to preach. And he said, well, good luck. But anyway, enough of that. If you have a Bible with you or a Bible app, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 11. And uh, we're going to continue in the study that you're going through, through the book of Acts. And hopefully that's been great so far. An incredible, incredible book of the Bible. And uh, we're going to look at verses 19 through 30 this morning. Uh, Luke, the author of the book of Acts, gave us a gospel account. Uh, of the life and times of Jesus, just the start of Christianity. And, and when you look at the, at the Gospels, you know, he tells the story of, of Jesus, uh, but doesn't stop there. And, and so he gives us the book of Acts. It's kind of like the second part of the story of Jesus and, and his followers, this gospel movement, and how the followers of Jesus, the early Christians, you know, we would say, broke into their pre-Christian world. And, and at that time, I mean, you know, there's kind of Christianity around us a little bit, even though there's a lot of people that would say they don't follow Jesus. But at this time, I mean, it was just brand new. I and mean, that's why we call it pre-Christian. And, and they broke into their pre-Christian world, these, these, these believers, just in this amazing way that just began to spread and ignite something miraculous. And and so that we're, we're, you're studying that as you're going through the, the book of Acts. And now we come to chapter 11. I love chapter 11, and especially these verses we're going to look at this morning. So let me just read these, and I'll make some comments, and then we're going to point out two things that we want to walk away with today. Verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, and Stephen, as you read earlier, uh, was one of the leaders in the first church, just a prominent up-and-coming leader, and, and he was stoned to death. He was the first Christian martyr. And so uh, the, this persecution after he was stoned to death, it just kind of ignited something, some anger, and, and, uh, and this persecution broke out. And the people that, you know, after the persecution, people traveled, it says there, as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene. And Cyrene is on the northern coast of Africa, modern-day Libya, uh, who, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also. And uh, the, the, these would be the Greek, when you see Hellenists, the Greek-speaking Jews, and more than just speaking the Greek language, just Greek-culturalized Jews. Um, which didn't go so well with more of your Orthodox Jews, but the, you have these Hellenists here in Antioch, you know, people that, you know, might be more missional in their thinking, people that might be, you know, uh, just talking about and praying about how do, how do we reach this city? You know, how do we reach the people in this city? How do we, you know, break through the, the, the diverse culture in this city? So Hellenists would be more prone to think that way, that the gospel is not just for certain people or for a certain kind of people or a certain race of people, but for everyone, for anyone and everyone. And they came to, to the city of Antioch and spoke to the Hellenists, 
preaching, he says there, the Lord Jesus, the gospel. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So the gospel just, I mean, brand new city, pre-Christian, and I mean, there are people that were ready for that. And even as, you know, you know, Drew and Jordan just crunching numbers, and, and, and we, we hear those incredible numbers, we can still be, you know, be certain that God has prepared people that are going to hear if we're faithful to speak it, to speak the word of the Lord, to speak the gospel. The hand of the Lord was with them, verse 21, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church of Jerusalem, and, and, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And, you know, Barnabas, as you read and studied, he was Barnabas the encourager, key leader down at the church in Jerusalem, and uh, just a, a great guy. And they're like, Barnabas, you need to get up there and check things out. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast, uh, steadfast purpose. For he was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul and You've been getting to know Saul through this study. You know, Saul, eventually known as the Apostle Paul. He was a Jew, but he was a Roman citizen. He was a Hellenist, uh, came from the city of Tarsus, was a very Hellenized uh, city, a, a large population of Hellenized Jews there. And Barnabas is seeing all these people coming to Christ. He's like, man, I, I need to find somebody that can help me, help me mentor and shepherd a disciple and build up these new believers. And he's like, right away, he's thinking, I got to find Saul. He would be the perfect guy for this. And so he goes to, uh, to Tarsus to, to find Saul, this rising star in the gospel movement. And when he had found him, verse 26, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians, which has always been interesting to me because the church didn't start in Antioch. Where did it start? It started down in Jerusalem. That's where it began. But, but the Christians or the, the believers or disciples were first called Christians in Antioch, something really unique about this city of Antioch in this church that I believe would posture it for greater gospel movement to, to all people, to all nations. And so just interesting that Luke would point that out. Hey, the disciples were called Christians first in, in this city, in Antioch, because something unique and unusual was happening. We're going to talk more about that. Verse 27, now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And this took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. And so we, we read this. And we see this amazing gospel movement that is continuing to explode on the scene of the Roman Empire, beginning in Jerusalem 
In fact, just hold your place here and look back at Acts chapter 2 with me. Acts chapter 2, and I know you've read and studied this, but I just want you to catch the flavor of this because the, the, the church plants that happened out of Jerusalem carried with them a lot of the DNA that, they, that were built into them. So in Acts chapter 2, beginning verse 22, Peter is standing in front of a, a huge crowd of people. He's preaching. And he, uh, that had gathered at the day of Pentecost, and you remember reading this and studying this, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up. Loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be uh, held by it. And so what he's doing here in front of this huge crowd is preaching the gospel. The gospel, the fact that we are all broken and sinful before a holy God. That Jesus came to die for our sin, for our brokenness, to redeem us, to restore us into relationship with the God that created us and knows us and loves us so much. A gift that uh, we receive simply uh, by faith in him, something that I hope each of you have done, a decision that you've made. And that's what was happening here. But watch what happens next in verse 36 of Acts 2. We'll get back to Acts 11 here in a moment. Acts 2.36, he goes on, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And maybe you can remember that moment in your own life where you just heard the gospel. Maybe you heard it in a lot of, you know, many times, many times it didn't do anything. But then the day you heard it and it just cut you to the heart, there was conviction like, wow, I get it now. I understand this now. And I believe it. That's what was happening here. And, and, and they said to Peter and the, and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, well, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who received the word, those who believed, were baptized, and then were added that day about 3,000 souls. And I mean, I, I, every time I read that, every time I say that, I'm like, wow, that is incredible. 3,000 people converted to Christ. Amazing. Last year at Cornerstone and Ames, we baptized a lot of people. And I know you were baptizing people here as well in uh, 2018. And I, um, on one baptism Sunday, I had been teaching a class, and I came out of that class into uh, the, the large lobby area we have there at Cornerstone uh, in, in Ames, and, and there was this long line. I forgot that it was Baptism Sunday. There was this long, long line. And I just, my first reaction, like, wow, I wonder what everybody's lined up for. I mean, it was a long line. I mean, just went way, you know, across the lobby. And then it hit me. It's Baptism Sunday. These are people, a lot of them, you know, older, but a lot of college students there that are lined up to be baptized. I mean, I immediately got goosebumps. It was a goosebump moment. You ever have goosebump moments? Okay, it was a goosebump moment, and, and I actually choked up a little bit. Like, this is incredible, this gospel movement that is happening here. And I know it's happening throughout the network. Incredible. And, and then I think of 
what's happening here at, at the Jerusalem church in, in, the, in the city of Jerusalem. I mean, this is a, a, a major goosebump moment. I mean, just imagine a line, 3,000 people lined up to be baptized. And it didn't stop there. Uh, look on over to Acts chapter 4. Uh, beginning at verse 1, a lame man had just been healed. And they are now preaching the gospel at the temple on the porch of the temple. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the, of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So it was very annoying to the religious establishment. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word, the gospel, believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. And so, I mean, to see this crazy gospel, you know, explosion that, that was happening. And listen, can happen anywhere at any time through God's people, through his church. And then Luke tells us, as we read in chapter 11, that this persecution broke out. In Jerusalem, and the gospel begins to rapidly expand beyond Jerusalem. It was a church planting movement that happened because of persecution. Now, I've already met a few of you that are here, not because a persecution broke out in Iowa City or in Ames. It just was, you know, obedience to Jesus and what He had called you to do. But here, this church planting movement was happening because of persecution, and that was, hey, that was what God was doing. Everybody was all happy in Jerusalem, and there was like several thousand. He's like, no, I want the gospel to get out of here. And I don't think you all are going to leave unless something happens and persecution happens and people just leave and they're planting churches wherever they go, including this strategic city called Antioch, strategic in the gospel movement that's happening. So go back to Acts chapter 11 and look at verse 19 again, Acts eleven nineteen. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who had the capacity to look beyond the Jews to other people groups, other ethnicities, just the, the, the diversity that, that existed in the Greco-Roman world and for sure exists in our world. Uh, who, coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists. Again, Greek-speaking, Greek-culturalized Jews, and so important because it was this group that would have the capacity to see beyond ethnic barriers and racial barriers and socioeconomic barriers and, and just see people and, and, and really want to take the gospel to the pagan nations at that time. They were also preaching the Lord Jesus, the gospel, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Okay, so it is a historical fact that Christianity, first century, Christianity at this time just began to sweep the Roman Empire. And, and you know, there are Secular historians that study this stuff, and maybe you've heard it in your classes, I don't know, but just very perplexing to them. It just doesn't make sense. There were other religions. There were a lot of religions at this time. Why did Christianity 
spread so rapidly. What was it? Just kind of a head scratcher. This thing is just sweeping. You know, it doesn't make sense because we know that Christianity started with this really small group of people. We might say a small group of peasants. They had no cultural, no economic power. In many ways, we would say they were nobodies. Nobody knew them. They weren't writing books. They weren't, they just were nobodies. And yet, you know, Christianity just began to spread through them, even in the face of persecution, significant persecution and pushback from the, you know, first from the Jews and then eventually from the Romans. You know, why did it spread? What was so attractive about Christianity? And it's a question that, that we want to always be asking ourselves and even to ask this morning. What would make your life? What would make my life? And we are asking this question down in Ames at Cornerstone. What would make the life of our church Cornerstone? What would make the life, what would make Salt City attractive? You, you may have friends, you may have coworkers, you may have people you go to class with, people you work with, you know, that, that don't want anything to do with Christianity. They would just say, I'm, I'm not interested in that. Or the church, and maybe the reason is they've never really experienced Christianity in the church in the way that it was meant to be. And I'm not talking about, you know, uh, you know, buildings and bands, and, and we, we love buildings, and we need spaces to worship, and we love bands, and we love that worship, but we're not talking about that necessarily. We're talking about something else, something these people in the first century had experienced. They had truly experienced the gospel, and it had produced something in them. And it was incredibly attractive. Two things. There's so much here that I can point out. I'm just going to point out two things, two words for us to think about and maybe walk away with and even walk in through the rest of this year with in 2019. Two words, diversity and devotion. Diversity and devotion. In a culture that was very racist, very divided, very exclusive, we find this incredible diversity. And within that diversity, this amazing devotion to each other. And we'll talk about that. First of all, diversity Again, verse 20, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, not just the Orthodox Jewish population, but to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And so the setting of this text is the great city of Antioch, third largest city in the Roman Empire. I mean, this is, you know, 500,000 people. This would be like Chicago. Um, New York City is the largest, and then you have L.A., and then you have Chicago. But the Minneapolis metro, sort of in that ballpark as far as size and population. And, and uh, so it, it helps give us a kind of a, a vision and a grasp of the impact that, uh, that the gospel can have. And I'm glad that uh, we just saw that video that they sent out because they're saying the same thing, that the gospel can have in the Minneapolis metro. And in a city like this, and we just uh, we came up on Friday, Paula and I did, and just been hanging out in your city and just driving all over the place and uh, just having a blast, but just getting a feel and a taste of what is here. And even driving up university and all up, up in there. I mean, it's just like there's universities everywhere and there's people everywhere. Just incredible. The number of universities, the diversity and the, and the potential, the potential 
for gospel impact is enormous. It's enormous. And you're, you're experiencing that. Going to two services, looking for new space. It's incredible to be a part of a movement like that. Antioch, third largest city in the Roman Empire, 500,000. No wonder God wanted the gospel in this city. I mean, historians and archaeologists tell us, you know, it's a very wealthy city. They've discovered the possibility of street lights in this city down the, and polished stone down the main street. Just a lot of wealth. But underneath all of that wealth, there was disease and there was poverty and ethnic diversity and racism and fear and people living in isolation. Could easily be the description of uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul and really any major city in the United States. But then the church, the church, God's people, step into that culture and establish a new culture. I mean, when we say a new culture, it just did the culture that the church had did not exist at this time. In the Greco-Roman world, the church, this new entity that just steps in and begins to to develop and, and bring out this new culture, this new kind of community, a group of people who don't see Jew or Greek, and you read this in Galatians 3, or male or, or female or, or, or slave or free. They don't see that anymore. They see a different way. They, they, they see our unity in Christ, and because of, of that, a group of people who are known for loving anyone and everyone, that was the reputation that began to be put on this church. Not, not that everybody liked it, but they were known for loving anyone and everyone across socioeconomic barriers and ethnic lines. And, and, and they, just, they were known for sharing their food. Didn't matter who you were. You know, Greeks shared food with Greeks, Romans with Romans, you know, Libyans with Libyans, uh, you know, just not the church. If you're hungry, no matter who you are, they'll feed you. They will help the, the, the sick beyond ethnic and socioeconomic barriers. And, and that is so important because Christians, and I've thought a lot about this even in my own life, Christians can often think I'd much rather hang out with people just like me. I went to an all-white private high school in a small community in Kansas. And it just shaped my thinking in, in a lot of ways. Um, pretty much hung out with a small group of guys I played football with, and that was it. And uh, I mean, I, I was a, a believer. My dad was a pastor. And, and God's like, you know what? No, I, I don't want you to live that way. Um, my, my view of the world and my purpose for you is so much bigger than that. And uh, so I graduated from that high school. I moved to Kansas City, went to a, a college, and in my dorm was diversity. I mean, just right on my floor, a Kenyan, an Iranian, an African-American, and, and the rest were just a bunch of wild and crazy white guys. Um, and I, I saw this Iranian, and I'm like, am I supposed to love him or hate him, Saeed? Because at that time, I'm, I'm, I'm an old dude, and so way back then... There was the Iranian hostage crisis, and we just kind of 
watched news and grew up hating Iranians. And here's this Iranian sticking his hand out to meet me. And I'm like, do I love you? Do I hate you? What do I do with you? I don't know. And then I discover that the Iranian and the, and the Kenyan and the African-American guy, they were all Christians. And uh, what do I do with that? Um, I ironically grew up on the mission field. I was born in Guyana, South America, in, in, in the capital city, Georgetown, where there was a lot of ethnic diversity and socioeconomic diversity. And if you were white, you were the, the minority there. And so I kind of grew up there. But then we moved back to the United States when I was about seven years old. And when, when we got back, it's just interesting how we just little by little began to gravitate back to what's familiar. People just like us. And God said, no. I want something different from you. I want a broader vision coming out of your life. And, and so here were these three guys, and they were all Christians. And we started hanging out together and eating together and laughing together and praying together and reading our Bibles together. And God just did something incredible in my life to expand my vision for the world and people. And just in, in, in many ways, it was the first time I had experienced you know, Acts chapter 2. Or maybe the, the church in Antioch. And you know what? I just discovered that diversity is amazing. Diversity is pretty cool. And it's the way and life of Jesus. And maybe you're there. Maybe you're not. Maybe you struggle with that. Maybe you don't. But I want you to think again about creating a place in your life. Creating a place in your life. And even in the life of this spiritual community. We know as Salt City and honestly ask the question, who is welcome in my life? Who is welcome in my life? Who's welcomed here at Salt City? And by God's grace, be able to say, you know, at Salt City, you know, it's a place where anyone and everyone is welcome, where you know you could meet somebody on campus or at work or wherever you're at. You could meet somebody and, and say, hey, you know, you know, invite them. And you know, you know that no matter who they are, they would be loved. They would be accepted right here. People who might be experiencing loneliness and might be experiencing rejection in every other part of their life, but not here. They would be loved and accepted. They, they, they would, wouldn't be judged. They wouldn't be rejected. They wouldn't be excluded. They would be loved. They would experience God's grace. To have people be able to say, and maybe they already are, but it's certainly the goal that we have for Cornerstone and Ames. To have the Ames community think about and, and be able to say about Cornerstone and Ames and same here, here Minneapolis, St. Paul, and Salt City to be able to say, you know, down there at Salt City, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. They love anyone and everyone. Diversity. Uh, incredible. Here's the second word, not only diversity, but devotion. Verse 27, now in uh, these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, every one of them, I mean, everybody got into this. Everyone, according to his ability, I don't have much, but everybody just jumped on this to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. Kind of like the need was presented. And they all like, yeah, we want to be a part of that. This, this explosion of generosity, this response, and I love that. 
They did so, verse 30, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. And why? Why would they do this? You know, why, why would they even care about these people that live in another place, Judea? You know, this, this is what the gospel produces in us. This was in their DNA as a church plant off of the Jerusalem church. So real quickly, hold your place in, in, in Acts 11 and jump back to Acts 2 again. And just read a few verses here quickly. And then wrap this up. Verse, uh, Acts 2, verse 42. These are very familiar verses to you, maybe. They devoted themselves. This is the church. This is after all those people were baptized. And there's just some great gospel movement happening. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and into the prayers. And, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. And they had all things in common. You know, so you know, this diverse church of 3,000 people it's estimated at this time in the Greco-Roman world, um, historians tell us that, that uh, half the population were slaves. It was a slave population, and half were on food assistance. So anytime you were standing before a group of people, you could maybe estimate or have the idea, half of the people I'm talking to are slaves, half are on food assistance, that half of them are poor. And you add to that just the, all the people from all the nations that were there in Jerusalem uh, representing so many di- different ethnicities and races and, and even socioeconomic levels. They're just all there, and that's where this is happening. And uh, just this diversity. And verse 45 says, And they were selling their possessions and belongings. So this it wasn't just one group of people similar. This was diversity. They were all selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter where you came from. How can we help you? They were devoted to each other. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord, no big surprise here, the Lord added their number daily, those who were being saved. And so in the context of incredible diversity in the Jerusalem church, you see this high level of devotion to each other. This was part of the DNA of this first church in Jerusalem, and it continued in the new church plant up in Antioch. They are caring for one another, and, 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 and then they hear about a need in the, in the network down in, in you know, the believers in Judea, in, in the church, you know, the church of Judea, and they, and they give, they just respond, they give generously. You just see this immediate devotion that did not go unnoticed by, by the surrounding community. People saw, people saw this kind of action so that, uh, you know, people on the outside looking at the church would say, yeah, they, they really do love each other. They really are devoted to each other. This is what the gospel produces in us. Back to chapter 11, verse 29. 
Just read this again. The disciples determined everyone according to his ability. So you just see not just a few people responding. Well, you know, that person has money or that couple has money, that family. Everybody just jumping on this. How can I express devotion? How can I help? How can I reach a need? Everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. That is gospel-centered kingdom devotion. And because of of the level of love and and devotion and generosity, Christianity just continued to explode onto the scene of the Roman Empire. In fact, one emperor said this, we can't stop these Christians. The reason they are so popular is the Jews take care of the Jews, Jewish poor, the Greeks, the Greek poor, the Romans take care of the Roman poor, but, but Christians, they take care of them all. They cared better than anyone else. They shared freely and it didn't go unnoticed. People saw this. And people said, man, I, I, I need that. I, I think I want to be a part of that. I don't experience that anywhere else in the city of Antioch. And, and for sure, people that we will see and, and rub shoulders with this week would probably say the same thing. I, I'm not experiencing that. Yeah, I've got a friend group and I've got my buddies, but are we really, there's a level of love and commitment, devotion. I've never experienced that. If I really let people know what's going on in my life and inside of me, I think they'll probably reject me. Maybe I won't be their friends anymore. I don't know. But for sure, the church began to have this reputation. Look, it doesn't matter. You go there and they will hug you and love you and accept you. And you'll never want anything else. This was the church, and this is what was causing the gospel movement in the first century world. There's a lady at Cornerstone. Her name is Sarah Day. She's been there a long time. Some of you that might have ties to Cornerstone Ames might recognize her name. She lives this way. A hundred stories could be told about Sarah Day and just how she's living out this gospel way. Embracing diversity and devotion is just a way of life uh, for Sarah. Just got an email from her. We, we are starting a Celebrate Recovery at, at Cornerstone. It's just a, a program uh, for people recovering from all kinds of different things. And it, in, in my mind, it's a celebration of diversity. It's an expression of devotion. You know, in, in the life of the church and, and even hopefully in the Ames community, uh, here, here's a, a description of Celebrate Recovery, a program designed for those who are recovering from hurtful circumstances and addictive behaviors, divorce recovery, codependency, chemical addiction, domestic violence, sexual addictive behavior, other issues. The CR environment is uniquely designed as a safe place to find love and acceptance and hope and healing through Jesus and the power of the gospel. So a lot of people will walk into a church and, and might feel some initial love, but, but deep down, and will, if they really know me, if they really know who I am, Will they really love me or will they ultimately reject me? It's something that maybe all of us have have felt at some level at some point. And we're just really excited to get this thing going. It's already, we haven't launched it yet, but it's already growing and moving. We did a soft launch and just what God is doing through that. But Sarah Day is all over it. I mean, she just, 
so excited that we're starting this. And she, so she sent this email. She said, so I was meeting with a young lady this week who says she would like to come to CR for the relationships and support. She went to CR, Celebrate Recovery, when she lived in Chicago. I doubt she will actually follow through. But if she did, would it be okay for her to come tomorrow? I, I was going to offer to watch her kids and won't push it if you would rather she wait. Thanks, Sarah. And I, I emailed back like, are you kidding me? Yes. Yeah, tell her to come. We'd love to have her just join this. This is a woman who's struggling with loneliness and hurt and fear and isolation. I have no idea what kind of uh, experiences she's had with church or even with Christians. And, and so she's a little bit timid. She's a little bit afraid. But maybe through Celebrate Recovery, just find an entryway into the diversity and devotion, the uh, environment, the, this first century environment that we hope to create. Sarah's meeting, you know, out, uh, reaching out to her and just saying, you know, you should go there. It doesn't matter, you know, who you are, what you've done. They're going to love you. They'll love anyone and everyone. And this is the gospel. And this is not a a gospel for just a certain group of people, a certain type of people, uh, a gospel for everyone. And uh, and it's the question in... Again, we, uh, the question that we're wrestling with in our church in Ames and that we all need to wrestle with, you know, what, what would make your life? You, even as you head out of here and, and we pack this up and then you head into another week, what, what would make your life? What would make my life and Paula as we head back to Ames? What, what would make... Salt City or even Cornerstone or other churches in the network, what would make our life, our churches, attractive? And I want you to think again about creating a place in your life, even in in the life here at Salt City, and honestly ask the question, who is welcome in my life? Um, Who's welcome here? And how would they know that? If somebody walked in, if you invited somebody and they came next week and How would they know that? How would they feel that? How would they sense that? And by God's grace, be able to say Salt City is a place where anyone and everyone is welcome, where you know you could invite that person. And they would be loved and accepted and maybe in that context have the capacity to hear and understand and maybe believe in Christ and the gospel. To have people be able to say about Salt City, about Cornerstone, about churches in the network, yeah, down there. Down there at Salt City, it doesn't matter who you are. They love anyone and everyone. Diversity and devotion. Would you pray with me? God, as always, uh, sometimes easy to read this and speak it, um, but then to live it could be different. And uh, we're just asking for a fresh gospel movement in our own hearts, just for us to to see you and embrace you again in a way that your life ultimately would explode out of our lives. Jesus, we know you were this way. We read it in the gospels and then we see it in those that followed you. Just help us this week to live in this kind of culture, to create that kind of culture in our lives and in the the life of this church and our our church back in, in, in Ames. God, we want people to, on the outside to, to look in and have the idea 
that in, in, in that place, it's different. They, they really do love anyone and everyone. Pray that would be a reality here, God. And we pray that that reality would happen uh, by the power of the gospel, by the work of your Holy Spirit in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.